Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, Matt Walsh here with another episode of the ESPN Footy Podcast. A plenty to get through this week as always. Uh, and as always, Jake Michaels is joining me to break down all that's happening in the AFL. Jake, how are you going? Oh, I'm fantastic. Um, you guys know my washing machine was stuffed and I finally got it fixed thanks to my good friend Nick. So I'm wrapped. I can actually wash my clothes again and don't have to go to the laundromat. Shout out to Nick. Was that part of the deal that he'd give you a washing machine if you gave him a- No, it wasn't, but I really appreciate it. He drove a long way, so uh, big props to him for doing that. But yeah, plenty to talk about in the world of footy at the moment. There is. Christian Jolly, your washing machine all fine at the moment? Everything's going fine, yeah. <laughs> we had a, we actually we had a, a laundry issue a couple of weeks back when um, the PowerPoint broke. So the, we couldn't, we didn't have a washing machine for about what a What do you mean? Like two. the little, the prong yeah. that goes in? The, yeah. So like you could, you couldn't flick it on. It would just return back to its place. Oh. And there was no charge coming out of the so the thing. This was during the lockdown. So we had to get a, an electrician, which is welcome to the ESPN laundry podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but we break down all things laundry. Uh, before we do jump into another big episode though, guys, something you noticed from the weekend that we might not get a chance to chat about in depth. Jake, I uh, heard you've got a couple on your on your list. Yeah, I'm doing a U this week, and I'm I'm <laughs> going with a couple. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit stiff. Um, the first one was interesting. I no- I don't know if you guys noticed, but the Hawthorne Sydney game. I reckon that was at the SCG. I reckon they um I reckon they turned the lights off in the Hawthorne coaches box because it looked like Clarko was sitting there in the dark at one point. I don't know if it was a bit of funny, bit of gamesmanship or something from the from the Swannies, but I don't know why it was so dark in there. Speaking of PowerPoints, um, surely you can just flick it on yourself, Jake. Well, maybe maybe Clark they maybe likes issue. working in the dark. Maybe they had your issue with with their PowerPoint. <laughs> maybe they just um, stuff broke it for them. Hey, and the other thing I noticed was our good friend Joe Watson. Um, a bit of commentary at one point. No, we're not still bagging commentators, are we? No, we're not bagging commentators, but it was pretty funny. It was just, it was an innocent mistake. But he said he was, <laughs> for our ESPN connections here, he was talking about Trey Young, obviously um, great NBA player for the Atlanta Hawks. And he said, Trey Young from the Atlanta Falcons, which mm. was a, a little bit of a mistake, but um, some, that was something I noticed. Could Trey Young make it as a, a defensive back for the Falcons, maybe? He's about that sort of height and size yeah. and got a bit He's of a bit, leap on him. Yeah. Cornerback, uh, safety, something like that. I do. Yeah, you're fair a, enough. You're a resident NFL expert. Yeah, I know. You're struggling there. You don't know what a, a defensive back is. Is that what's going on? <laughs> um, no, I, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, uh, something from the weekend that uh, grabbed your attention. Um, yeah, well, it was probably someone else pointed it out on the, again, going back to the commentary. But um, I think it was Hamish McLaughlin yesterday uh, during the Melbourne Collingwood game just commented on how lucky we are to have the stadiums that we do. They were just commenting on how, you know, great the SCG looked or whatever yesterday. And yeah, it sort of made me reflect. I probably watched Saturday night's game at Cairns and just thought that was a hard game to watch. And it's really tough conditions up there at night, the humidity, it makes the ball slippery. But yeah, sort of took a step back yesterday afternoon, just thought that we're sort of lucky. Even the games that have been moved this weekend, we've got two stadiums in Tasmania um, that are hosting games of football once again. And um sort of made the comment to you guys pre-pod that, you know, the Gabba hosted the grand final last year and did an awesome job, an amazing grand final. But is that even in our three best stadiums in Australia, which isn't a knock on the Gabba at all. It's just, you know, there's so we got some outstanding stadiums. And yeah, footy is not an easy game. I wouldn't have thought to host a match of. We know about taking it overseas and trying to find mm. grounds big enough to play on. Mm. Um, and we've got so many of them. I mean, we've still got you know, Darwin and Alice Springs that we haven't been able to use yet. Maybe the, maybe the next hub can be in Shanghai. <laughs> maybe that's it. Yeah. Well, I, I did go to that game and yeah, that was an interesting experience. Oh, no, I think we've got enough, the gravy train. I think we've got enough venues in Australia to keep the game here and yeah. Awesome places to host. We, we did a piece a while back, Jake, maybe two years ago where we ranked all the stadiums in the AFL and then yeah. they were all ranked pretty well. Like all the harsh points were pretty harsh. Like, as in like, you could easily say that there's, there's nothing wrong with most of these places. Nah, we're lucky. We're, you know, it's certainly in our big, all our, all our main cities, we have a great stadium in each of them. So, mm-hmm. and they're all getting better with all the, the updates, particularly, you know, um, Adelaide Oval famous for, uh, what they've done there in the new stadium over in Perth. So, no, I think we're pretty lucky here. Mm. If you do want to find that, you just probably Google ESPN AFL stadiums or something and it'll probably come up if you want to hear our thoughts. Uh, <laughs> something I noticed, um, remember earlier in the year we had the, the double posters and there were two yep. in the same weekend? 
Um, we had two overhead kicks on the weekend that really sort of grabbed my attention. One was the Riley Thilthorpe one where he kicked the, the winning goal, basically, mm-hmm. for, for Adelaide against the Saints. I thought yeah, not many players willingly try that and not many players with that much or that lack of experience would probably try that. I thought that was a pretty ballsy move from, from Riley. Uh, quite enjoyed that. Um, and then the other one was Toby Green. Um, he... You know how you can sort of do blind hand passes? He's just gone and done the blind kick over his head because he knew that a teammate, I think it might have been Jacob Hopper, was about 20 metres literally directly behind him. Um, and he was being harassed by a North player. And he li- kicked the ball straight over his head and it just missed the target. pure Toby Green. Then by peak Toby Green. And the thing I thought at the, at the time when it happened was, I'm like, um, Hopper just hasn't known this is coming. This is Toby Green's mind working faster than anyone else's on the ground because he thought, well, that bloke's there. So he's kicked it to where he was and Hopper was moving away from where he kicked it to. So anyway, the overhead kicks, bring him back. Yeah, uh, he's a freak. He does. It, there's certain players that just do things that you can't expect. And I think you're spot on. Yeah. He, No one else is on that same level as him in terms of his thinking. Um, there's actually, without dragging this on too much, I mentioned this, but in the first Two minutes of that game, he took a mark at half back Toby Green, um, and he sucked the umpire into paying a fifty by doing <laughs> almost like an NBA style swipe with the ball across the defender's arm, and it knocked the ball out of his head. It was completely the defender did nothing wrong, and then dropped the ball. The umpire got sucked in and paid fifty. He is just a smart player. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me on a slight different parallel. Before we do move on, of that Daniel Wells kick out of the ruck contest, or sorry, out of the uh, yeah the ruck contest from the throw up in the square against Fremantle all those years ago, where it's like who else would think to do that? Toby Greenwood, he would he's the sort yeah. of player that would think to do something like that. So um, yeah, bit of a, a wizard, isn't he? Uh, let's let's move into the agenda. We've got plenty to talk about. Uh, the David McKay case, the tribunal that's set for Thursday. So we've got a bit of time to sort of dissect this, which is good. We normally record and publish and then the tribunals on that night so we're a bit dated when we talk well, we got about this stuff sort of with nathan buckley last week yeah <laughs> we had, had an emergency pod which if you haven't listened to that uh, you can find that wherever you get your podcasts um but yes uh look jake my initial thought is because the afl's re- referred this straight to the tribunal it wasn't the mro uh it was steve hocking and he said this is going straight to the tribunal and they want three weeks the afl and this is a watershed moment i think in footy for me because this year we've had overreactions, underreactions to protecting the head, incidental contact. We've debated if there's room for accidents in footy anymore. And I think this is the case that's going to be the watershed one where where the AFL and fans and players, Mm. they go, well, what is the line? What is accidental and what is acceptable and what is incidental contact and what's acceptable? And I think the the collision between McKay and Hunter Clark, who's been left with pretty bad injuries, um, I think this, this debate is going to form the basis of all future debates going forward. Do you have any thoughts? It will, but we were saying this about the Patrick Dangerfield bump on Jake Kelly, um, mm. and I'm sure we'll say this about the next bump that happens down the track. I just think that if if David McKay was to get anything more than one week, I think it's an absolute disgrace. I, I, do, I think yet again we're looking at the outcome. Hunter yep. Clark's got a broken jaw; is probably going to miss four to six weeks of football until you know that's given where we're at at the season. It's fair chunk of the rest of the year. Um, but there's no way that David McKay intended to do that. And as you can see, the, where the, at the point of contact, he's pretty much picking the ball up. Mm. Um, we've spoken about David McKay before, and I've been critical of David McKay as a player. He's not a physical player. He's not someone that's going to want that contact. Um, I, I just think that the AFL yet again goes too far into the what actually happened to the player that got hit. Um, and at the end of the day, this is a contact sport. We're going to have bumps. We're going to have tackling. We're going to have players getting injured and concussed. We have a player get con- we have players get concussed every week. But we're not. There's ne- we're never going to get to a point where we don't get that. We don't want that. But we've got to realize that it's going to happen from time to time. And it's not like we have these sort of bumps and tackles and head high hits um, happening multiple times a game. They're freak accidents that happen. I was pretty comfortable with Patrick Dangerfield getting two weeks for what he got, though he got three. Mm. I think if McKay was to get more than one, I think there's a real problem. And yet again, the AFL sets a precedent that it probably doesn't want to have. Christian, you guys at Champion Data do a lot of um, analysis of plotting where players are and, and where they pick balls up and where they get rid of balls. I mean, you, you would have looked at this incident and, and seen the way that McKay approaches the ball and the way that Clark comes uh, with that other Adelaide player uh, whose name escapes me at this point. 
they came to that contest. When you saw that, firstly, I guess in fast motion and secondly, in slow motion, what were your initial thoughts? Yeah, fast motion. Yeah, just thought it was an accidental collision where, again, just thought he more, yeah, I thought he did bump him, but it was more of a brace bump as in the contact's coming. I'm just going to put my hip out. Again, watching it in slow-mo, I reckon I do, you can see his feet do leave the ground. So I think there's a bit of what you might call propulsion there or something, Mm -hmm. which again, probably puts it into the guilty category for me. So yeah, looking at it, but the one thing that I don't, I don't know if I'm comfortable with it or don't understand is how the AFL can sort of say how many weeks, if they're referring it to the tribunal, it's sort of independent. We want want you to work it out to put a price or a penalty already on Mm -hmm. it is a bit, yeah. I'm, I'm more interested in that side of the story of sort of, isn't that sort of just misleading the... It's bizarre. I don't think I've heard of another case no. where this has happened. Because yeah. we're going in now with that predetermined idea that it needs to have yeah. three weeks plus. Yeah, so it's a weird. It's 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 kind of unusual to me that they there. Yeah, they've already put the number on it when it hasn't been to the the place that they're referring it to to get a penalty yeah. drawn from, which is the tribunal. Mm. Uh, but again, yeah, watching it live, I, I did think, yeah, it was more of a brace. Watching it in slow mo, I, I can't sort of defend that being just a full brace action. I think there was a little bit of a little bit of attack there, but you know, I, again, I don't think he was intending to knock out the player, but he was clearly intending to bump into him. Uh, before we, I guess, give what our thoughts on, on what should happen uh, as a result of the case, uh, Jake, you mentioned the Dangerfield one again, kind of a different bump yeah. in, in a I sense. Was- the Dangerfield was going at the player. Yeah. Um, and, and McKay was going for the ball. And I think that there just needs to be an understanding that we are still playing a contact sport and the AFL is doing all the right things about protecting the head. And I've been a big advocate of protecting the head, but like you say, we've also been wary of punishing the, um, the outcome instead of the act. And the, it's the act that probably needs to be punished more than the outcome in this case. And the act is fine. So I, I'm, I'm of the belief. I think he should get off. I don't think, I don't think even one week is, is fair for mm. the incident that happened. And I know that Christian, you sort of said there was propulsion and he left the ground and all that sort of stuff, but Look, when you're looking at these things and overanalyzing them in such slow motion, going frame by frame, you just got to take a step back and think, this is not how the players think. And this is not how the players can react. If he is to get the three weeks that they're pushing for, it it could probably be the first time that I can certainly remember a player's got three plus weeks for an incident where you can actually genuinely make the case he shouldn't have got anything. I mean, the Dangerfield one, he got three. But while I didn't think it was probably worth three, it did always feel like he was get had to get something for it, whether it was one or two or three. Like he, it, it wasn't. It was late. He did. He did jump. It was, and he had that force. The McKay one really feels like he was playing at the ball. Um, and I, I am almost with you. I, what well, I think one or two weeks, I could. One, sorry, one week, I think I can live with. Two for me is starting to get just beyond a joke. Yeah, okay. Even one, I'd be disappointed, to be honest. Christian, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I'll see how it plays out. (laughs) (laughs) Very diplomatic. (laughs) Very diplomatic. No, no, fair enough. Uh, Let's move on. We had a few requests on Twitter for this, actually. This was interesting. Um, Poor old David King. He was on 360 on the weekend, and he... He was trying to make a. There was trying. He was trying to make a point about how tight it is at the top of the table and how teams are, um, well, team games between teams in the top eight uh, are going down to the wire, and and the results are kind of you can kind of can't really predict who's going to beat who on any given day. He tried to make a point with a stat, and uh, it went viral on Twitter because he he ended up saying, "Well, we can listen to it here." But if you look at top eight teams amongst themselves. So top eight v top eight. So they're the games that we're we're hanging out for. We're craving for Friday night footy again this week. So top eight v top eight, it's 18 wins, 18 losses. So they are the 50-50 games that we've been talking about. Now even to season when yeah. you say it like that. Well, you... So Christian, if teams play 18 times, there's 18 winners and there's 18 losers. Uh, I don't think Kingy... He meant to say it like that. <laughs> Is there a way that you can translate from David King to English, please? Well, like listening to it and hearing it, you know, when it happened and hearing the clip afterwards, yeah, I, I couldn't explain it. I was just like, well, he's clearly <laughs> run a query that, you know, that's a, a course that's going to be the result if, you know, 18 teams played against each other, you're going to have 18 winners and 18 losers. I've found out, done a little bit of digging, and I still haven't got quite across the number he was trying to use, but it's the record of the first four teams versus the next four teams. So 1v4 versus 5v8 when they were playing against each other. Uh, again, 18, the 18-18 seemed a bit too high. I don't think there's been eight, you know, 36 
or 18 games between those t- top four. So I don't know exactly what top four he was using, whether he was using pre-round 13 or just at any point as, you know, in, in the season. But I do know that was what he was trying to say is the top four and the next four are so close together that they're 50-50 when they play against each other. He was so confident when he was saying it too. And then <laughs> someone on Twitter clips it up and goes, hang on, this just does not make well, any sense. For, for me, exactly. He's, yeah, it, it was a bit of a slip up. But then again, it just, you know, as a statistician, you know, working in champion data and trying to educate the the public and the media, you know, alike, David King's right up there with his usage yeah. stats and uses them very, very well. That was yeah. clearly a slip up. But the people sitting with him, I I'm not sure who it was. I can't remember. <laughs> Robbo. Oh, Robbo was like, oh my God, that's so tight. Yeah, he said, yeah, it was yeah, quite interesting and that's tight. And I thought, well, no one's picked it up in the room. Like, no one's got a double. It's one of those things that you can just say a stat and say it confidently and people are going, oh, yeah, yeah wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kingy, uh, you've had a little bit of a mare there, but uh, as, as Christian said, we do love your work with stats and champion data. Um, speaking of stats, there was a, a really good one on Friday night, Jake. Uh, Hawthorne, good win over the Swans. Yeah. Um, unexpected win. I look at it as a. Do I look at it as a good win for Hawthorne or a bad, bad loss, loss for Sydney? Sydney I think yeah. there were a few bad losses this round. Sydney, um, Melbourne, mm. um, Port to a lesser extent um, had opportunities to win that game. But yes, they they were good Hawthorne and debutant. Very yes. very impressive. Yeah, John Newcomb had. Uh, well, everyone was sort of rushing to the record books a bit earlier because he racked up I think twelve tackles at, at one point. I think it was to three quarter time or to half time or something like that. Um, and they were sort of scrambling for the record books. He ended up with 14 tackles on debut, uh, which was a, it's a record on debut. It's mm. a record number of tackles on debut. So we thought we'd task Christian with coming up with any other interesting stats that have been recorded on debut or any other quirky debut stats. And he's got a list of things and we might kick it off with, where do you want to start? Well, we'll start, we'll start with the tackles just to get a recap. So yeah, he had 14 tackles, uh, giant Newcomb on the weekend. So the next most we've seen in for my debutant 11 each for Jack Graham uh, in 2017 and Rupert Wills in 2016 also had 11. Uh, and then the next mm. three are 10. There's three more players that sort of reached double figures on debut, Jake Kelly, Jack Steele and Josh Dacos. Again, a lot of these are just, these are just debutants of playing your first game. A lot of these guys, especially for tackles, it helps to have a bit of a mature body. And although these guys are still young, you know, John Newcombs just hasn't turned 20 yet. The only player under 19 on that list was Josh Dacos, which again was a surprise to me sort of, you know, he's, he, I knew as a, a junior, he was a very, very good pressure player. Um, and he's probably, he's still, you know, a very good tackler now, but he probably doesn't put it, you know, immense pressure on, uh, especially tackling pressure. But yeah, in his first game, he, he applied 10 tackles and sort of already showed his... Uh, Is that his career high there. to this point? I hadn't, like double, I hadn't double checked that. It probably, yeah, it would be up there. I don't think he's had double... Trying to get game number two. <laughs> Again, so yeah, a lot of these records, when you run through them, they're all, yeah, sort of being achieved by players, you know, probably not in their first year out of the draft. And if they are, they're mature age draft picks. So the other big one is obviously disposals. I was going to say, can I guess this? Well, again, the qualifier on all of this is I've just used from 2001 onwards. So again, I've used champion data, official um, stats that we've captured. So disposals, um, I think they go back to about 1970 on some places the most AFL records. So I haven't looked further back for those. Um, obviously, goals go even further, and I'm going to sort of talk about them shortly. Uh, but, yeah, so since 2001, everyone that's debuted uh, since then. So most disposals, Jake? Well, I think it is a mature age player. Is it Michael Barlow? Correct. So he had 33, 33 uh, on, on debut. And there's, yeah, three other players that have had 30. Uh, Kelly? No, Tim Kelly didn't quite reach that mark. So Bo Mustin had 31 for Hawthorne uh, on debut. And he was similar. He was a very, very high draft pick and, you know, highly acclaimed junior. I think he missed two years or something with knee injury. So I think when he finally debuted, he'd, you know, been on the list and, you know, taken a while to play. Brad Dalziel um, Mm -hmm. had a big debut, 32 disposals for Brisbane. Brad Double D. Um, And the most recent one, yeah, Jacob Hopper, just a few years ago, four or five years ago, had 32 on debut. So... Um, oh yeah, again, I do remember that actually. Yeah, yeah. He's um, we sort of spoke about him last week or the week before. He's you know a big improver for the Giants. Well, he, he's probably gone backwards actually. Uh, yeah, since. Probably, probably didn't give him enough credit. He started with thirty-two disposals. So, um, but yeah, looking at as I just mentioned goals. So we know about some famous goals. I think John Coleman was nine on day, de- uh, sorry, ten on debut and things like that back in nineteen fifty or so. But it was interesting to me since 2001, again, I just ran the query and five, there's only been two players to kick five goals on debut since 2001. One of those. We saw one on the weekend. Well, yeah. Well, no, sorry. A few weeks ago. No, I've still got him in my head from the weekend. 
I, yeah, I always, I've, I think I've avoided trying to say this name on the podcast so far, but Riley Philthorpe kicked five <laughs> goals against the Hawks. I think we said it was, yeah, I think it was four and a quarter mm. almost. So that's uh, the most since 2001 on debut where Marty McGraw or Martin McGraw kicked five um, on debut. So again, yeah. I can't say I remember that like one. A, yeah, and it seems like such a low number. You, you just yeah. think there'd have been a few, or, you know, three or four players. I, I know Jason Tutt, I think he kicked three or four on debut when it's three goals with his first three kicks. Uh, but he <laughs> That's a good stat. Five goal mark. So he was always a memorable <laughs> one for me. But I, I think I'd have to double check it. I reckon his next two, I think his first five kicks were like, you know, three goals and two score assists or something like that. So first three kicks, three goals, last three kicks, three out on the fools. <laughs> hey, just with Phil that from does that mean uh do we like I think he got a bit of credit for that, but probably not as much as it shows given how rare it is for a player to come in and do that. Correct. And yeah, you know, number how one. How rare it is to kick a bag as well. He's sort of he's almost the number one draft pick sort of. I know Jamar has got that and you know Adelaide bid on it, but the team that had the number one draft choice, um, you know, took this player in the end, Riley. And yeah, as I said, it's, I think he's gotten a lot of credit and I think he's up there, you know, starting to, into conversation for the rising star and how good he's playing. And, you know, just kicked well, we only just got the nomination, I believe. Yeah. Well, match winner on the weekend would have helped, but yeah, I think that was, yeah, probably a debut. We didn't give enough credit to with considering how, you know, um, how rare it is for that to be done. So yeah, just a couple of other interesting stats that I just thought, you know, Usually more senior players are higher up in it. So some good debuts. So most clearances on debut uh, was nine. Two players have done that. So again, Jacob Hopper did that when he debuted in 2016. Um, but yeah, a few rounds earlier was, oh, sorry, a few rounds later was Archie Smith, who again, I think he'd been on the list for Archie Brisbane Smith. for three or four years. He'd had, he had uh, nine clearances on debut as well. Uh, in round 19, 2016, eight of which were a good game. Yeah, <laughs> eight of which were what, sorry? Center bounce clearances. So well, that's probably just the ball yeah. falls at the ruck contest yeah. that he hasn't so, won, and then he gets the clearance. Well, again, that's still the most on debut by anyone. So Jacob Hopper was, you know, nine clearances, including some mm. around the ground ones, yep. whereas Archie Smith eight straight out of the center. Um, another good trade question. A lot of people remember. Um, again, I didn't double check this. I think he got a. I think the medal existed for for it. Dean Polo uh, with his eleven intercept possessions. Was there? Were they playing for the? Um, oh, the Yukon medal. It was against, yeah, against Essendon. I don't know if they were playing for a medal at that point. Yeah, they might have been. Might have got something else, some other award that night. But yeah, he had uh, 28 disposals, but yeah, 11 intercept possessions, um, which again is outright sort of leader for most on debut. Um, you know, a list of names that had 10 or more on debut. Brett Goods, Cole, uh, sorry, had 10 on debut. Brett Goods, Cole Cheney, Sydney Stack, Lewis Young, Colin O'Reid and Tom McDonald. So again, not a lot Sydney of you know staff. so far, not a lot of long Last from the past <laughs> already. Um, not a lot, lot of like longevity from a lot of those players, but um, mm. yeah, Tom McDonald's probably one that you know. Again, ten intercept possessions on debut. He's been you know right up there as a key defender in the competition and could be all Australian key for, you know in forward line this year. So um, and yeah, just a couple others. Sam May six hundred and seventy one meters gained on debut for Brisbane. Uh, most meters gained, uh, 13 score involvements for Barlow. And as we mentioned, Jason Tut. So they both had 13 score involvements on debut. So um, yeah, that's, they're probably all the, all the interesting numbers I picked out. There you go. I wonder with some of these stats uh, and some of these like debut sort of records, players who are just flying under the radar and there's just no op- opposition analysis done on them. And then you, they get worked out pretty quickly because a few of these names you, you've mentioned are a flash in the pans. Uh, and obviously there are a few that haven't been flash in the pans, but a few of them have been. It's just like, mm. well, maybe there's the element of the unknown about matching up on some of these players and then other teams actually put a bit of work into them and they go, oh, okay, you're pretty, you're pretty easy to shut down or you're pretty easy to, to mark and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and also I think John John Dickens a good example of it is how many games that they might have played, you know, with the VFL lower levels, yeah, lower level before doing it. I know he was, you know, not, you know, hadn't played more than twenty odd games. I don't think for him, or I think he'd been with them before this year. But do you just put in a little bit more effort in your first game because you just it's you're running on adrenaline a bit more. You want to get you you want to make sure you get game two. Like I'd be surprised if he has another fourteen tackle performance in his next twenty five games. Well, tackling is one that the opposition can't stop, really, can they? Yeah. yeah. So that's that's one that you can't as an opposition coach. But why doesn't every player every week have 14 so, tackles? Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. So he, he <laughs> might, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I'm still going to put my hat on that he's going to be a very, very good tackler across the competition. I don't yeah. think he, he, could have had a, he could have had the Cade Simpson debut and then 
subsequent three, two, two games. Two more games after that, wasn't it? it was almost yeah. We need to do the worst debuts. We need to do the players who... Um, I think he wins it. Yeah, the worst. Bev had one handball, I think. And yeah, Simpson had one free against in his first three Jonathan games. Brown, I think, and Cam Mooney. I think they might not have even touched the ball in their yeah, debuts. I'm not sure about Jonathan Brown, but Cam Mooney, yeah. Yeah. Well, back in the days when the use of the bench was a little bit different to what it is now, that's for sure. Um, anything else before we move on? These are good. No, that long. Yeah, they're probably the... They're the ones that stood out for me. Fantastic. Hey, Jake, your favourite coach, Chris Scott, fair mm. to say, or Clarkson? Clarkson, or they're, they're dead heating for, for, for dead last. <laughs> what, what did you make of his little interaction with a fan on the way down from the coach's box to the ground at Adelaide Oval on the weekend? Because oh, I, was I was disappointed the fan didn't completely... Tri- no, I'm only joking. No, it was interesting. I, I for, all the, for all the joking about Chris Scott, he's got a point. Like, he... Fans shouldn't be able to get that close. I don't mind having a bit of a comment and a bit of a back and forth, a bit of a chirp, but you shouldn't be able to physically touch or try and trip a coach or I don't a think you tried to trip like him. That. Yeah, it was just the... an unfortunate accident. But yeah. Um it got, but it got was me it though. Was it? Well, that's what he said. That's what Chris Scott said. I he think was quite that's what he said because had he come out and accused the guy and it had been proved that it was an incident, he would have been looked upon as yeah, you know, that's true. But I, I don't know. How do we know? I don't think we can categorically say it wasn't deliberate. No, we don't way, know. Whether it's deliberate or it was accidental, why are they able to get that close where they can potentially trip a coach? This is my thought. So is there any other country or I know that, that in the NRL and, and local codes, it happens a bit as well. But is there any other country where this sort of stuff happens where a professional football or sporting coach has to wade through the fans and like literally through like section 124 row BB to get onto the ground to then address his players. So then have to walk back up past the fans back up to the coach's box. Cause it seems like it's just a bizarre thing that because it's normal in Australia and in the AFL in particular, in this occasion that we just don't think about it. I think because the AFL, because footy's played on such a big ground you need the coach needs to be higher up, higher like, up. it's not a lot of other sports i can think of where the coach no. is on ground on, level. on the like as in soccer ground level yeah um basketball they're all on the floor uh, american yeah. football they're all on the on the on the sidelines there um basketballs are probably the only one where you you are quite close you are on the floor still but you're very you know you you the fans literally sit courtside. They're sitting pretty much right next there. to the yeah. team and the players and the the coaching staff. So that's quite close. Ice hockey, um, ice hockey's got the glass up, but also that can also be you can bang on the glass, calling them all very, sorts. Very close to the fans. Yeah, who's there? I think there's only one sport I can think of where the coach actually does sit with the um, with the fans, and that's tennis. But again, how many people know would recognize a, a tennis coach? And it's tennis. Are people really abusing the coach if if their player's not performing well or something? As like the players that? are abusing the coaches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, that's the only sport I can think of, but it's definitely not a comparable sort of example. So, like, well, that got me thinking even further. It's what are some of the other things that are unique to footy or Australia that we've just sort of accepted as normal in the sporting landscape here? I got banners. Two, yeah, two obvious ones are the banners that we banners. run out to. But even afterwards, after the game, and it probably goes back to the crowd point as well. Is you know, I think we're very trusting of our fans and of you know our, our patrons of the the venues and things, but. Going for a kick on the ground after the game, like yes. saying that we can't do kick it. Kick, you love a bit of other kick. sport. There's no other sport. You can't just go out and cricket and just have a hit on the pitch when they're finished playing <laughs> there one day, or, or they come back boot. for the day two of the test. It's you know, take some field goals or whatever for on an NFL field. So yeah, just being able to, you know, it doesn't happen every game anymore, but you still see it happen. Being being able to get out on that sporting venue and just kick the ball around like your heroes just did. That's a great point. The one I thought was runners and trainers just going out onto the field during play and offering water. And I think we, we've had a few like years ago, like my family had family friends over from overseas and, and that was the, the thing that they noticed the most. It's like, who are these guys in pink running out onto the ground during the game? Are they, players? are they streakers? Who are these unfit extra players? <laughs> yeah. And it's the same in the NRL. You get the runners and the, and the water carriers just taking, taking a bit of time and, not we just saw water anymore. They've got the uh, sticky sort of substance that they always wear on their, you know, yeah, yeah, and the pickle and juice, so they can get the sticky um, goo on their hands and things like that. So, so that's I think that's something we've just sort of accepted as normal. Anything else that sort of leaps out at you? I mean, the siren. I think the siren is. I mean, in hockey you have it, but 
One that one that's changed for me, but it used to be funny. Is um, I used to talk about it back in the days. The changing of boots, like oh, he's worn the wrong boots here. He's you know <laughs> needed skill wins and moldies, which we don't see anymore. But I was like, what other sport can you sort of just rock up, rock up with the wrong shoes? And go, no, nah, I've got the wrong ones on today. I didn't realize it was going <laughs> to rain, so I have to change my shoes. Like it was that was just common practice, but it was also an unusual one. Yeah, cheer squads. Yeah. I know that they've got like active areas and active support in a lot of different sporting codes, but like the cheer squads are bizarre kind of unique I te- thing. I tell you uh, one that's unique to the AFL, and I can't think of another sport like this, but um, when there's two parts of this, but when the ball goes out in a new tr- out of out of the field of play, it's not the it's not last touch it turnover. It's mm. it's a 50-50 again. Yep. But the other part of that is and going back to your point about people from interstate or over uh, sorry from overseas that might come and watch the game for the first time, they're always amazed by the field uh, the boundary umpires throwing the ball back in over their heads. And the bouncing as yeah. well. Yeah. So all that kind of stuff is yeah, that's weird. And another one for me, and we banged on about this last week, was the the fifty meter penalty and how just ineffective it is, and yeah, how in, unscientific. Meter penalties. <laughs> Seriously, like you, you, in the NFL or, or any other sports that have sort of meterage penalties, it's always you know fifteen yard penalty. They'll measure it to the friggin' millimeter, yeah. um, and you know you've just got razor ray saying, "Oh yeah, about here, that'll do." Yeah. So, to the uh, next umpire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hang on, he's seventy five meters away. <laughs> 50 of Razor Ray's steps is not the same as 50 of someone else's steps on the uh, umpiring panel. Um, Yeah, good nominations. Uh, We better move on, though, because we do have six more buy teams to get to. So we've been doing this the last couple of weeks, uh, going through each buy team's uh, strengths and weaknesses, uh, most improved and putting forward a candidate for the best and fairest. And and Christian, we've got, uh, as I said, six more. We've got the Crows, the Magpies, the Dockers, the Demons, the Saints and the Swans. Do we want to start with the, uh, the Crows winners on the weekend? Yeah, winners on the weekend, and um, yeah, probably not the first time in a while, but yeah, for, it sort of um, yeah reset some of their form that had been starting to drop away of recent. So again, when I looked at their season, I sort of looked at rounds one to five, the way they started compared to round six to thirteen, the more recent weeks. Um, and again, for first five rounds, disposal differential ninth, uncontested ninth, contested possessions eighth, fifth for points four, um, and fourth best at scoring once inside fifty. So pretty good numbers for, again, team with, you know, um, sort of, you know, coming from where they were last year and just trying to sort of get a new game plan together. Um, yeah, it, it looked good early, but yeah, recently, so round six onwards, 16th for disposal differential, 16th for uncontested possession differential, 10th for contested. So they're still okay inside. Um, 16th for points four and 17th for scoring once inside 50. So the potency fall to the balls really dropped away. So Again, a lot of these teams probably got similar themes from this week, but it's just about showing signs for Adelaide. And I think those early signs were good. Um, yeah, really, really functioning forward line. Again, that fourth for scoring per inside 50, that's before Riley Thilthorpe. I can't believe I've had to say his name three times now on the, on the pod. But yeah, that's before he even joined the team. We you know, spoke about him. He's probably probably the future of their forward line uh, or the future of their you know, key position stocks, really, because he can play anywhere. But um, yeah, sort of across the whole season, like including rounds one to five as well, they're still 17th for scoring from turnovers, 18th overall for total disposals and uncontested marks. So holding on to the ball, um, you know, maintaining possession, time off the clock, all that sort of thing, still sort of um, evading them. And they're still not doing that well in that part of the game. But yeah, you know, clearance differential, contested possession differential, they're starting to get mid-table, which is big improvements from last year. So given all this uh, and the fact that they've got wins on the board and against some decent teams, are mm. we surprised that have they exceeded our expectations? Have they exceeded your expectations, Jake? Definitely. I didn't see them. I probably saw them winning this amount of games for the whole year mm. and certainly not against the opposition they've been doing it against. Yeah, I think there's big ticks with uh, with. Phil Thorpe. <laughs> it is bloody hard to say. I think he's got he's a huge tick. I think um I think the midfield's looking pretty good now with with guys like Laird and Keys, who we've spoken about, who's who's become one of the big improvers. Mm. Sloan back in there, and this is without Matt Crouch having played a game all year. I mean, when that when they lost Brad Crouch last year, it was kind of like, gee, what's going to happen there? Um, I think Tom Duday back in the side and playing at his best is he is a phenomenal defender. Um, yep. I think there's big ticks all around too, for him. Is it unfair to say that Tex Walker could be their most improved if we're looking at like last year to this year? Well, certainly in the first probably month of footy, he has slowed <laughs> down a little bit, but he's still an important focal point for yep. them. Um, provides a lot of structure. We saw it with Carlton when Harry Mackay went out, um, lost all structure. Same sort of thing when Tex didn't play. Um, but 
yeah, I think he has slowed down a little bit to probably mm-hmm. the point we we saw him at. But look, it's if if him and if if Tex and Dilthorpe can can he, he they can learn off each other and and complement each other. I think it's it's going to be positive for Adelaide going forward. You mentioned Ben Keys. Uh, you're a big fan of his work. He's probably also been one of the most improved for the Crows this season. I think he's been just about the most improved player in the in the whole league um, in terms of what he's doing cool. with um, getting his hands on the ball, winning clearances. Still probably got a little bit of work to do with his ball use. Um, but I don't think many people saw that rise from him where he's now not haven't got these numbers in front of me, but what he's averaging this year from a disposal clearance mm. um, inside 50 tackling point of view is is really, really strong. And really quickly, I think he's been well improved, but I will make the point that probably, yeah, not giving him enough credit for last year. He was, yeah, very, very good last year on a shortened game, shortened season, so hard to compare the numbers. But again, I think that just stepping into, he was always sort of similar to Matt Crouch. Um, Matt Crouch is probably the number one, you know, almost hit two option for the Ruckman and was right at the feet. Now Ben Keyes gets sort of first crack at that. So that's why it's interesting to me. You sort of look at Walker and Sloan playing their parts. Walker was awesome first month now, you know. I'm sure, you know, providing a lot of guidance in the forward line. Sloan just always keeps having an impact, um, you know, and you sort of want Schoenberg and some other youngsters sort of to get a crack in the midfield too. Daniel Talia and Matt Crouch, how they fit back into Adelaide. I, I think off the top of my head, they, they do make Adelaide a better team. Mm. Matt Crouch is going to take a little bit of Ben Keyes' ball away and Schoenberg's development maybe. Um, Talia probably aids strength to the back line. But again, Jordan Butts has played quite well. Tom Dode, as you said, is you know, close to all Australian squad for me, at least, you know, at the minimum, he's been awesome with just, yeah, all, all of his defensive stuff from intercept marks to little things like spoils and pressure. Um, he's right up there. So yeah, again, Adelaide's yeah, an interesting one because yeah, I probably didn't give him, didn't see them sort of, you know, definitely, you know, beating Geelong and Melbourne, um, you know, in the mm-hmm. first half of the season, I wouldn't have taken, I wouldn't have seen that coming at the start. Well, this the is year. a team 12 months ago was saying they may not win a game for the whole Correct, season yeah. last year. So it's okay. a big, from the last three games of last year to now, they're probably 50-50 win-loss. So it's a pretty impressive turnaround from the Crows, I think. Uh, two, two more names I will quickly give you. Just Brody Smith and Paul Seisman, first and third in the competition for effective metres gain. So I know you like that one, Jake, rather than mm. just raw metres gain. They're actually keeping possession of the ball. Um, so, yeah, first and third. And they're very they're two very different players to the rest of their team and provide that, yeah, that breaking the line option. Um, so, yeah, both those players going very well. Before we move on to the pies, just uh, in a word, best and fairest leader, Rory Laird for me. Probably Laird, but yeah. I, I, Seedsman is the one that I think would be surprising people. I think he's had a f- phenomenal year. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, let's move on to the pies. Obviously, now a new era begins, at least a, an interim era with Robert Harvey at the helm, but uh, a good win going into the bye week, Christian. Yeah, and I, I'll say I called it as soon as uh, <laughs> so it just it was that whole, whole changeover of coach. Doesn't it always happen? Yeah, it's, the romance. It was, it was either that they know when it's going to be, if they know it's your last game, they win for you. Or if it's a new coach incoming um, from a mid-season, a mid-week sacking, they usually win for him. But it's got to be rare though that a, that a coach leaves mid-season having won two games in a row. In a row, yeah. Which is why <laughs> I thought, yeah, which is why I thought, you know, finish up last week. You take take the win and finish up against Adelaide and go out a winner. It's but yeah. George Costanza though, it's end on a high note and walk yeah, exactly. out and just yeah, double <laughs> double the high note and then yeah, really, really <laughs> leave. so again, but looking at Collingwood a whole season, it's still defense. It's all about defense for them and you know, protecting themselves. So sixth for points against, uh fourth hardest to punish from a turnover. Mm. Uh, that's that's right up there with, you know, past finals to be one of the top four at defending turnovers. Um, second hardest to score against once inside 50. The only team better than him is Melbourne, who we'll get to, but they're, you know, Melbourne are on world record pace. So uh, Collingwood a second to that. But again, yeah, looking at the the regression probably in the forward half game and scoring. So they're in the negative for time in forward half and inside 50 differential yeah. for the first time in five or six years for them, uh, probably even longer. That's as far as back as sort of looked and they've been in the positive all that time. Uh, and yeah, just sort of, yeah, bottom half for scoring and all that sort of forward half stuff. So it's still same, uh, very much the same profile on defence, very, very good defensively. But as we sort of saw um, with their points against, I think it's been a steady drop um, since, you know, 2000 and I think I've got the numbers here. So since 2018, they've sort of dropped from fifth in scoring. This is just points for fifth to seventh to 13th to 17th this year. So mm. there was always a watch on their scoring and it's finally dropped off, you know, this year to bottom two. I think the thing that has has not, not impressed me, but I've noticed about Collingwood is the way that they can kind of take 
games against good teams and really make it a scrap. I don't think they've really been... Uh, well, they've, they've managed to keep games really tight and low-scoring and a little bit ugly. I mean, you look at the game against against Geelong for the most part. Um, they've been able to get teams down onto their level for, for parts, and, and that's what's, I think, made them or kept them somewhat competitive despite these sorts of stat lines. Um, and I think Buckley deserves a bit of credit as well because he he's, he's, he's what he's working with. It's what yeah, he's working with. It's exactly what he's working with. Um, and talent-wise, they, they don't have as much talent as Geelong at the moment. Yeah. Um, they don't have as much talent as... 12 of the teams in the comp. But I think there's some players to come back. And I, I think Collingwood's just got to embrace the, the rebuild now. I mm. think it's that's clear that's what's going to happen. They've got to get the kids in. They're going to get Nick Dacos in. Um, it's who else can they bring in in the draft in the next probably two years? Mm. Uh, and they still got salary cap issues too. And um, actually, we'll chat about this on the roundtable uh, column that's coming out today as well, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, uh, about what the Pies should sort of start to look at with their list management. But, you know, they're still, they've still got salary cap issues. So they... they, they really kind of need to clear out the place a little bit more and get some players on smaller coin uh, into the club. And, and the way to do that is, is obviously through the draft. Uh, a most improved and a BNF candidate from uh, from the Pies? Um, most improved for me, again, another one that has been good, just sort of changed in role, Jack Crisp, um, mm. playing more predominantly centre square midfield and off the wing, things like that, rather than just being a halfback flanker. Um, yeah, again, because probably because they have, they're sort of, they haven't really had a lot of players take that obvious next step up and Brody Majacek keeps doing his job and I, I love Brody Majacek I just love the way he plays the forward role he just always seems to be in front and doing the right things um, but again I, I don't think there's many others you know Isaac Quainer again has been really good but mm. I like to you know when I think of most improved I like to have someone that's at least played 30 40 games between you know because of course yeah, I don't think they've got a clear standout for most improved mm. um, I think Moore's probably been their best most consistent player for the year um, and I think you can throw in probably a few of the defenders, like yeah. you know, whether it's Maynard or Crisp, who started off halfback and has moved in. They're probably their better players. I think Pendlebury had probably his best game of the year um, in the win over Melbourne, but hasn't had hasn't had a strong year. Um, they've obviously missed players like Taylor Adams, Jordan Goey's struggled, and um, yeah, not a great year for the Pies. Yeah, well, the second half coming up uh, with a fresh outlook, so. Perhaps they can get rolling in the second half of the season. Uh, the Dockers, geez, they're a bit of a hard team to sort of get a, a grasp on because I think preseason we sort of had higher hopes for them. They, they win a few games and they had a really strong start to the year and then and then faltered again. And they're kind of just sort of mid-table and, and, and chugging along. I mean, what have you noticed uh, in terms of what the Dockers have been able to do this season, Christian? Yeah, so similar theme to Adelaide, just the small steps they're taking and what's changed from like, like the... For Freo, for me, you got to you know look at where they're gone from last year and previous years to where they are now, rather than just looking at this year as a as a whole. And they're sort of yeah, definitely sort of. I think the saying is you know they're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Last year we t- spoke about defence um, and how good they were defensively. I think you know last year they had what I've just sort of said about Collingwood's profile: the fourth for points against, um, the hardest to score against once inside fifty. So missed finals, but were, you know, the most frustrating team. You got it inside 50, you just couldn't score against Frio. Um, they were the fourth hardest to score against from clearances, fifth hardest to score against from turnovers. So had both sides of the game defensively uh, broken down, uh, you know, broken down and doing well in. But they were 16th for points four and 17th for scoring once inside their own 50. So had no potency forward of the ball. This year, it's the defensive side of their games had to suffer slightly. So they're sort of the 12th hardest, you know, 12th for defending clearances and 12th for defending turnovers. So that's down from fourth and fifth uh, last come year. back to how many injuries, because they have had quite a few defensive injuries. Mm. Yeah, well, probably probably has a bit to do with that as well. And again, um, but again, the, the, they've taken a little bit of a step forward um, from for their offense and their scoring. So again, from 16th for points for last year up to 13th, as I said, 17th last year, scoring once inside 50 up to 10th. So again, new coach still, you know, just still working his way with a you know a, a newish and youngish team. You just want to see those those improvements. So defense has gone backwards slightly, but the offense they're starting to show a few signs. Um, but yeah, the, the the biggest sign they're sort of showing is their third from going from back fifty to forward fifty, um, and the fourth best at scoring from defensive fifty chain. So they've they've finally got a bit of potent ball movement, which again we sort of said last year was just lacking from their game. They could defend all day long, but yeah, it was about actually getting the ball from one end to the other. Um, yeah. And they were 15th and 18th in those two stats last year. So getting it from inside 50, 15th and scoring was 18th. So yeah, again, 
injuries and probably had to, you know, the defense has suffered a little bit. But again, I think it's a little bit more game plan. You can't just keep burying your head and being too defensive for too long. You've got to start taking the next steps of their game, which they're starting to show. So again, there's, you know, if you're looking at a team and saying, you know, five ticks for biggest improvement, I give them three or four ticks for Frio. They're not setting the world on fire, but nothing's gone backwards and the right things are going forwards. Yeah, I think um, an improvement across the board too. I think the, the standout for me has probably been Sean Darcy. I think he's just been really excellent in filling. I know that, that Fremantle, especially in their ruck division, had a big hole to fill when it, when Sandy left and they've kind of, you know, experimented with some players and they're, you know, waiting for development of others. And and, and Darcy, I think, has really taken that opportunity. Um, and a little shout out because I think I was, I was informed recently that I'm actually related to him somehow. So I'm going to claim that. Um, I don't know You're how. Right. Yeah, yeah. Co- cousins three times. Who knows? Uh, but there's Twice your height. Yeah, he got all the guys, <laughs> exactly. Obviously, yeah. But but he like I moves uh, laterally like the Queen Elizabeth II, the big cruise ship. So we're, <laughs> we're both in the same boat there. I think. But he's been really impressive. Um, been good I, I, and on the weekend. Third, just third for him for contested possessions per game. So he's the name I noted down as well. Yeah. Second to Fife and Monday. So yeah. pretty good two two names to be following. And then uh, Brayshaw's the other one for me. So. Again, Brayshaw disposals per game across his career has gone from 16 to 17, 20 last year to 28 this year. So mm-hmm. finally stepping up as that, you know, close to an elite ball-winning midfielder. Uh, and, yeah, as you said, Sean Darcy was the other name I had, not just for his ruck work, but he's... His work around the ground. Shane Mumford-like for me. He Every time he's around the contest, he'll have some sort of impact, you know, probably not as physical and not yeah, hurting just, you guys. But he'll get legal the, impact. Yes, but again, it, <laughs> but it's even just grabbing the ball and getting a handball out. He's yep. not always just bash and crash. He can actually, you know, mm. as I said, find the footy third for contested possessions. Bit of a tractor. He uh, looks fitter now. Still not as fit as he probably can get, but he looks, I think he looked really unfit early on, Sean Darcy. I think he's always going to be a, a big lump of a lad. He is, um, but if he can, yeah, you want, but no, I agree. I think he's been good. The other Freo player I think I've been impressed by with what I've seen early is Josh Tracy. Good call. Oh, I think he's pure real footballer. potential. What a pure looking footballer! And great, great set like shot. About him is he gets involved in contests. A lot of these, a lot of these forwards, when they come in, they just don't get involved enough. Mm. I think yep. that's the that's the knock on that a lot of people have on Max King, just not getting to not enough contests. Well, that's think, what. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I think his his lead up work is is really good. Quite quite a, just a, 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 a forwards forward. Mm. Um, he keeps his feet in the contest. He'll stay involved, as you say. Um, again, bit of a lump of a lad for the age that he is, but yeah. um, he's destined to become a bit of a presence in that forward line. A and, strong boy. Yeah. Um, does anyone come close to David Mundy for <laughs> best player at the Dockers this year? Don't think so. Uh, I think he's winning the, the best and fairest pretty comfortably. Uh, moving down the list, uh, the Demons. Bit of a blight on the back end of the uh, before the buy part of the year for them with that loss to Collingwood. But overall, must be impressed by what with what you've seen, Christian. Yeah, and again, uh, yeah, bad loss to Collingwood, but then I look at their top eight record. We're getting, you know, the record against top eight, five and zip, and a percentage of 139 against them. So against the teams they're going to come up against um, in the finals, that you know they got the best record of anyone at the moment. Um, it's an in- sorry to cut you off, but it's an interesting way to look at it because you, I, I almost look at it the other way and think, do I trust them enough yet? I know they're not losing. I know they're winning the big games. But do I trust them enough because they've now lost two games that they really should have won comfortably and they're not blowing anyone out of the water? That's where I kind of look at it. It's Melbourne's in an interesting one because I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sold on the demons yet. Yeah, and I think they've again the history just sort of dictates most people to think that way. I think we were like that with Richmond in 2017. Um, you know, Port Adelaide. Max Gorn's got the cup in his hands. (laughs) Yeah, it's sort of like, well, they're good, but how long can it last? But again, just, and even one of the guys that I work with, you know, one of the analysts um, has flagged that what I sort of said earlier, so defending inside 50 entries. So they're the hardest team ever to score against once getting the ball inside 50. And they're, I think, 2% better than any other team in history for, you know, they only can see the score uh, 35% of the time, I think it is from, yeah, 35.2% of entries. So as it sort of stated, you know, that was about round seven there at that number. And he said, well, can they maintain it? For, you know, they, they can still finish on top of the ladder and win it all, but I don't think they can stay at 35% for this long. And mm. they're still there. So again, it's, it's probably one of those things that it might come back a little bit, but that they are, they're going to have games like they did against Adelaide and Collingwood. You, you're going to have those games. And it, I sort of, I did sort of ask Josh Dunkley that I think on his first pod, like they were going so well as well. It's like, how do you plan for something has to go wrong? You know, you have to have a bad lot. You can't just 
keep being number one at everything all the way through to the last week in September. Like it just, it, it it'd be nice in that way. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. you know, surely coaches plan for so much things that, as I said, yeah, Melbourne have dropped the games that they're puzzling, but in the end, like, you know, as I said, they've still got the record against the good teams and they're still holding up defensively, um, which is, you know, the irony in that is two years ago, they're the worst team ever for scoring once getting the ball inside 50. So, it's, it's incredible. If we can make our opposition look like us two years ago, we'll be on world record place defensively, which they've ended up doing. So, you know, they've, they've completely flipped it. And again, their offense is still, you know, rolling along nicely. They're not, um, you know, they're that's not- where I probably have the questions. I think there's no doubt they're mid- we've spoke about their center line. That could be the all Australian center line. And they're clearly what you've said about their defense. The forward line is probably where I have the questions. Where does Ben mm. Brown fit into this? I think and he comes back in now. I think Sam Wiedemann hasn't yeah. really Yeah, Sam Wiedemann's an interesting one for me. So, again, it's again, I don't like talking about this for players, you know, during the season, but I, I think his future might lie elsewhere outside of Melbourne. But how much is he worth when, again, you just see his VFL numbers and I jump up and down and say, well, you've got to play Sam Wiedemann. Like those numbers that he's getting at the lower levels just scream out. But here's the complete opposite to what you just said um, about getting to contest. You just don't see a lot of Sam Wiedemann. Like he just, no, I don't think he took a mark on Monday. On screen. Yeah. He just you don't notice he's playing for a half. That's mm. yeah. 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 So he's clearly got talent and skill, but he just exactly. Yeah. Where he fits into that whole Melbourne. Needs to watch a bit of Josh Tracy tape. I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, most of- ninth for scoring once inside 50 for fifth for points four. So again, that's if there's question marks anywhere, it's yeah, still on their scoring, but improvements from for them from the past well most improved there's probably a few you could throw a blanket over over most of the um, team, probably. yeah um you look at definitely Christian. adam tomlinson before his injury um yep. I don't think we can get him how how much better he made may and lever in their mm. roles um and again when they brought him over from gws he's probably that tall winger that you know they needed outside run they brought him and langdon as you know probably more outside players and he's had to change his role and did that really well so i think you'd have to throw his name up there Luke Jackson, I think, has been uh, a really good pickup. I was I was at the, that draft and had a chat to him after he was drafted um, a couple of years back, and uh, I I think a few Melbourne fans were also sort of you know taking a ruckman that so soon in the draft was always going to be a little bit of a risk. But the way that they're playing him and the way that he's playing for the D's, I think, has been really impressive. And his mobility and footy now for a big man's quite good. Um, and I've, I've been, yeah, good footy smarts. I've been really impressed. I think he's been one of the, the more improved players for the D's. And Any other... a, obviously, Cozzy Pickett, who, yeah, Cozzy being a household name of the competition, I wouldn't have thought. So give him two or three years' time, and yeah, there'll be um, every junior will be wanting to be like Cozzy, I reckon. Just see, mm. just goes to show if you can nail your picks, you know, a couple of years later, they start bearing fruit. Um, best and fairest, uh, I think there's a few names that are probably, yeah, it's. This I think could, Oliver's. I think Oliver's a fair way in front of this. Yeah, Gorn and then Petrarca. One, but Petrarca, May, Gorn. I, I, yeah. I have Oliver ahead as well, but I thought this might have been yeah more of a debate here. But mm. I'd, I'd vote Oliver just. But you couldn't yeah. again going by coaching staff and the way they. I've sit. got Oliver potentially best on ground in seven games so far. No other player has, has is close to that. I think Bond give has you give you five. Blood, give you Brownlow Tracker a plug. Yeah, he's uh, well. He's actually not in front. Bontempelli is in front at just by by half a vote at the moment. But get online um, and check out our our Brownlow Medal Predictor because um, it is very tight at the top. It's hard to pick this one. It's Normally we've had, we've got someone streaking clear, but this is a tough one to pick. All right, we've got to whip through these final two teams. Kilda, uh, obviously, probably the the, dis- the most disappointing team this season, Jake. By miles, yeah. they've been um, horrible, horrible to watch. And I think that game against uh, the Crows. Crows, yeah, Adelaide, yeah, um, really sums up their season. Just c- completely finished. Let's just let's just end it and start again next year. We were all, and I put my hand up too. We were all miles off where we were in predicting. I can't remember the last team that I was just so far off in terms of what I expected to what they delivered. They've been awful, and without I reckon without Jack Steele, who's been terrific and probably as good as he was last year when he was top three in the Brown though. Um, they would be, that'd be bottom. That'd be fighting north, I reckon. They they are really, really, really bad at the moment. Statistically, is there a way to sort of pinpoint where things have gone wrong for the Saints? Oh, again, it's just it's too many areas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not to dig the boots in. <laughs> so that's, the, that's the frustrating thing for Brett Ratten. It's it's 
some weeks it's been pressure and some weeks it's been, you know, just trying to keep the ball in their forward half. Um, but then, yeah, when you just compound the whole season together, they're just basically bottom six in a lot of key areas, offensively and defensively. Um, and yeah, just they've shown, you know, a couple of signs. I think, you know, that the second half against West Coast and things like that and a, a few of their games last year where you, you can see what they could be. Um, but in terms of producing that for, you know, two or three or even four quarters across the game, they've really, they've really struggled for that this year. Um, they've yeah, just got so a yeah. lot of, um, our good friend Rowan Connolly is always talking about plotters. I love that word. Just players that get a game every week that just, they're just plotters, like don't really provide much. And they've got a lot of those type of players, I think St. Kilda. And it's not a knock on them, but it's like, when you look at, it's like, did we overlook and overestimate how good these, some of these players were? And I think the one thing, again, that kills it for them is the accuracy as well. So to be, you know, sort of just off mid-table for a lot of stats, you need to take your chances when they do come. And, you know, they're... they're Are they the least accurate or is it Frio? Well, still? Yeah, they're actually 70. So, yeah, Frio's still least accurate. But they last from set shots. Um, and the big thing with them is, yeah, so from within 30 metres, uh, they're at 75.8%, which is, you know, 76.8% is the comp average. So they're right on comp average from within the 30 Outside 30, they're the worst at 34.6%, uh, which is, you know, 11% below or 12% below the comp average. So mm. that's where, you know, the, the the mid-range or longer shot set shots is really, you know, they just haven't been able to nail those. And, yeah, I think one of the, you know, a big, you know, example of that recently has been Jack Higgins. And I'm, I love, and Champion Data probably as a, as a whole love Jack, Jack Higgins for some of his junior numbers and things like that. But he just can't take a trick with his set shots at the moment. He keeps getting him in the same, like I keep saying, he keeps getting him probably 40 out. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're not, yeah, exactly. But they're not, they're not out of his range either. So they're not worth passing off. They're like, okay, I've got to take this shot because I'm 38 out or 40 out. Um, but they're the shots they just can't nail at the moment. Yeah. Um, obviously, I think Steele, as we've mentioned, is probably leading their best and fairest oh, by, by, miles. Some, by some margin. Yeah. Do we have a, a most improved candidate? I mean, geez, it's almost hard to sort of pick someone oh, who's taken a step Google, forward. Google has been consistent. Yeah. He, yep. You know, I had big raps on him when he came from Port, probably hadn't produced consistently like he has the last, um, you know, across this season. So he's probably one of the names that stands out for me. Yeah. Cal Wilkie's been okay. I mean, Obviously, Higgins, defenders I mean, are going to be under pressure. <laughs> Higgins has been pretty good. I mean, that game, uh, well, the last two games, particularly the one um, the week before, who did they lose to? Against Sydney, yeah. He took yeah, the, I mean, he was marks and, yeah. best on ground in that game despite the inaccurate. He was so good. He was marking everything, tackling. He was involved in everything for a small pressure type forward. I thought he was phenomenally good. Um and it'll turn. It will turn for him. It's, yeah. he, he will kick those goals and he'll have a game where he does kick five. Um, I have no doubt. But at the moment, St. Kilda, yeah, there's, I tell you what, there's a lot of players that we could be doing the opposite, saying the players that have gone backwards. I think I'm looking at someone like Dan Butler, who it's just like at one point he was putting his hand up to be best small sort of forward in the comp, you know, all Australian on track for all Australian last year. Yeah. Um, and just completely gone missing now very much uh and let's wrap things up for the by teams with the swannies uh speaking of you know st kilda underwhelming uh in terms of their expectations i think the swans have exceeded most of our expectations maybe with the exception of rowan conley who has proudly declared on many occasions that uh he, he had, had him in the eight he had him in the eight and uh that's where they are at the moment um christian what, what can you tell us about the swans start to the season yeah so exactly they've been um sort of in, in every game or thereabouts. And, they, you know, they weren't flashy against Hawthorne on the weekend. But, yeah, six games decided by within 10 points or less. Um, most of any team, they're three and three uh, in those games. So, again, it's probably dropped off a lot. I, I started to look at the team sort of stuff. And, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're turnover games where it's, they're, they're really matching it with the best team. So fourth for points from turnovers per game and fifth for differential. So when looking at your score versus your opposition from turnovers mm. um, and the big one is, yeah, third for points from forward half turnovers. So being able to play the game on your terms, um, that goes to, you know, having a good setup so the ball can't get out of your forward line and then also having the skill to execute that. And, you know, they've got that. Uh, but yeah, it's starting to drop away. You just think of the names, just the list of names of injuries or just form, you know, for Sam Wicks, Goulden, Campbell, um, Chad Warner, I think Row Bottoms, you know, had a, had a couple of good games, but, you know, probably gone missing slightly. Florence still thereabouts. But again, all those guys that were really 
stealing the show and taking everyone by surprise in the first six or seven rounds will probably come back to the pack a bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're the, the interesting one for me is, yeah, they're sick. Uh, they're two games clear in the top eight, but I still look at if there's, you know, if there's going to be any change to the top eight, they're still a team that, you know, I personally would have as being, you know, the most shaky in there. So their next three games are Port Adelaide, West Coast and Bulldogs. Um, with West Coast, they're only one that they're sort of getting at home at the moment, but the way, you know, Bulldogs plan to be at the Marvel uh, in round 17. So who knows where the state's at by then. But then their next three games are GWS, Frio, Essendon. So if any team that could get into the eight, I think it's out of GWS, Frio, Essendon. If, yeah. So the, again, by round 18, 19, 20, one of those games for Sydney could really be one of those, I know we, you know, I think we're... Eight-point games. Yes, we laughed at that saying before, but they're, they're always going to be an eight-point eight game. So they're the one... Again, they're comfortably in the eight at the moment, but lose yeah. those three games in a row and see Freo or Essendon have some good form. Um, and yeah, around 19 or 20, it could be sort of game on for Sydney from that point on. For sure. Uh, I think Tom Hickey's probably been the biggest improver of surprise package for me. I mean, just you did not expect performances that like what he's been able to produce and, and his ability to hit the scoreboard. Um, he looks like he's put together and, and held together with, with tape. Um, for the most part, and he's just he delivering consistently. <laughs> he is, um, and I think he's he's very much been probably the most improved at, at uh, oh, I don't know how old he's maybe 28, 29. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think he's been really uh, one of the Sydney's most improved for the season. Any any thoughts? Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely right up there, and um, as Jake said, right up there for one of the most improved in the comp for in terms of how many games he'd previously played, and his role hasn't changed. He's just gotten so much better mm. at it. But one that guys, one of the guys that's role that has changed is Callum Mills getting yeah. thrown in the midfield. Mm. So 65% of center bounces, he attends, which is second at the club behind Parker. So he, um, yeah, has really stepped up. And again, he's just off the elite bracket for a midfielder this year. And one of the best kicks for a center bounce midfielder in the competition. So finally they've, they've thrown him in there and he's delivered. Yeah. Uh, he'd possibly be up there for leading the best and fairest at this point. I would say, I think he's leading their coaches votes tally or maybe Hickey might just have him as well. Uh, but th- those two sort of at, at the yeah. top for the, for the best I think and Mills and Parker, probably the two uh, that would be up there. Mills feels very much like Darcy Parrish, like finally got, got given that opportunity and he's mm. doing really well. In, and and they did. it was three weeks where they did move him back as well. Uh, I think they got a couple of injuries. So I thought, Oh gee, they've abandoned it, but he's gone back into the midfield again. So it looks like hopefully, yeah going to stick with it long term just goes to show teams if you have uh, a little blonde bloke running around mm. outside the center square get him in the middle <laughs> well rory laird's another one who you know obviously yep. played a lot of half back and he's in the, all the center bounces now for the crows and winning a lot of ball there so yeah know. go for it have an experiment see if you can uh, you know add a string to the bow of a player um thanks for that christian uh, appreciate the input over the last three weeks i know you've done a lot of digging for for this segment about sort of going through the buy teams and, and seeing their strengths and weaknesses and all that sort of stuff. So big ups to you. Uh, thank you. And we'll move on to my favorite subject uh, segment. Don't know about you, Jake, but justified hype or hyperbole, the segment where I'll say a statement. You guys tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. I might start with you. No one in the AFL could have made the distance from where Adam Kennedy had his shot after the siren with scores tied against the kangaroos. Is you me? Yeah. Um, no, I reckon there's a few that could have made the distance. He's about Sandy out. Yeah, I reckon um, we spoke about him before, but I reckon Paul Seedsman. I tell you what, some players don't look like they can kick the ball far. Paul Seedsman is one of those. Shai Bolton's another one. He, he can kick the kick a ball a long way. He's not a big man. It's some of these players that really surprise me with how far they can kick it. I reckon Paul Seed. Well, who, the question is, who would you want taking it? If you had a, if you had the choice of anyone taking that kick, um, I'd I'd have a, an Adelaide team. I'd have Tex have a go. The Texan. The Texan. What about Joe Danaher? Could shank the hell out of it. But wrong side yeah. for a lift. For wrong side. Oh no, he he'd be right. Actually, he'd be fine. I reckon he would. He loves that sort. Of, yeah, maybe. Bit of the buddy sort of arc. That curl. Anyone else? I, mean, um, I don't think anyone could make the distance Luke, from where he was. Yeah. Shannon Hearn? Luke, Ryan, Luke Ryan's got a big kick on him, but he, I don't know about him in front of goal, but yeah. <laughs> he, could almost, he could almost kick it from the opposite way. If he could stand in the goals and kick it to where... Uh, get Shannon it, Hearn, yeah. Get it back the other way. Speaking of an L Ryan from uh, playing over in the West, Liam Ryan, his kick to Josh Kennedy with uh, seconds good, ticking down. Well done. That wasn't even a planned segue. Well done. <laughs> Did you like that one? Yeah. <laughs> um, Liam Ryan's kick to Josh Kennedy uh, 
for, for Kennedy to kick the winner, Christian. That was not 15 metres. I didn't think so live either. Um, so, yeah, we, yeah, as, as I said, we had a look at it and I think we plotted it at 14 or 15 metres. So that's enough for us, you know, again. Within like, the, the, I, I reckon that's being generous. I reckon it was about 12. Yeah. But again, I, it was just one of those bits of players watching enough footy that was always going to be paid a mark. It's, yeah. No matter how far it went at that stage of the game, no umpire. And it's probably similar to some of the holding the ball. You know, I didn't think, I thought Geelong Brisbane was a bit too obvious, but there's some decisions where you see, and it's like, they're not going to pay that. It's, mm. You know, the siren's about to go. They're not going to pay that, or they are going to pay that. Um, yeah, I, I did think it was quite. If that's the first uh, quarter, does that happen? Maybe, but I think two players running at each other as well. It makes it look like it's shorter than it yeah. is. I, I saw it when I was watching it live. I didn't have an issue with it. But, I mean, I look, you're looking at replays. That, that mark is harder to take than 95% of the other marks that we saw where it's just kick backwards, whatever. So if we're trying to reward skill and trying to hit a kick to a player running that fast and to catch the ball, yeah, sort of uncomfortable that that, you know, gets you a shot at goal, which was an impossible shot at goal, which yeah. he kicked as well. So it all sort of writes itself off in terms of I'm happy that was paid a mark because... You know, Richmond Richmond supporters probably aren't as happy, but the way it played out, it's sort of like, well, they deserved. Um, good game. Yeah. Was a good game. Speaking of uh, ESPN's roots with uh, American sports, it would not have been paid a catch in the NFL because the ball there was nothing under the ball. The ball was also on the grass at the same time. So that's a debate for another time. Um, final final statement, Daniel Lloyd, Jake. Yeah, he's the villain from Sunday's draw with North. <sighs> This is really hard. Ask us if you if you haven't watched watch what happened in the last five minutes of this game. Ask watch it and then ask yourself this question. I think this is really really hard to to answer. I'm gonna say yeah, he is. Oh, he 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 sells so two context, points. He kicked Sorry. the last two goals of the game to tie it up or essentially tie the game up. But he had a chance to either kick it behind a goal or center a ball in the last. 25, 30 seconds to go. And he kicked the ball out on the full. And Jeremy um, Finlayson was in front of him. Jeremy Finlayson was in meters. front. He had players running. And I think the way I thought was if he was smarter, he was on the boundary. He should have kicked that across the face of goal. So worst case is he's getting, he can't kick it out on the full on the other side. It was too far. So kick it that direction. Worst case scenario is you get a boundary throw in around just out, just inside 30 meters out from goal. Um, yeah, but it's tough because but he salvaged like, two you know, points without him. Two, but he also threw away two. So you're calling him the villain. I reckon he was feeling a little. I reckon the 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 eyes were locked on the goal. He was thinking, I can kick three here. How many players kick the last three goals of the game and win it off their own boot? It's, <laughs> it was Nick Davis areas. I I think he was, <laughs> he was really he, he was excited by it. But uh, he played well in that last five minutes, so he can't be too too um, critical. No, fair enough. Uh, not many games this week, but get your tips in. Friday night footy. Uh, so I don't think there's a Thursday game this week because they would have taken it away from what it was supposed to be Richmond and West Coast. I guess, yeah. Um, so get your tips in in any case. Uh, I've heard of a few people that got zero last week. Oh. So if you're one of those people, uh, just stay quiet perhaps when your, your mates are asking you at the water cooler. Uh, guys, thanks for joining me. Uh, we'll speak to you in the next one. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.